recording right now. So in case we have any wonderful nuggets, we'll just be able to <laughs> roll it on in. But All uh, right. first off, thanks for taking the time to do this, man. Like <laughs> the stars align, man. It's, it's... <laughs> Uh, I don't have a day off too often, so I try to get everything in on a day. <laughs> there you go. There, you go. There, there's a few jokes to be made right there, but I'll, I'll be an adult about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta remember, like this is you do something that I, I mean, I guess I'm just jumping right into it. You do something that not a lot of guys get to do, and you're, you're at the top echelon, if you will of your industry and i guess we'll stop beating around the bush if you will and say it you are a professional male pornography performer or actor how do you what is the most pc way to say it and do you want me to say it the most pc way possible oh i don't care uh adult (laughs) performer i guess you could call it that (laughs) adult performer all right uh well the show is this just in I'm Justin. It's the show. It sounds like a news show, but really isn't at all. It's really just me sitting down talking with people from different walks of life and talking about how they got to from where they were to where they are now. And uh, so I've been following you, William, for a while because of one Gary Tonin was sharing some of your stuff out. (laughs) He's he's Uh, a good dude. I like Gary. For those that don't know, uh, Gary Tonin is very big in the jujitsu world and I believe is a fighter for Bellator or was a fighter for Bellator. If you can find anybody to fight him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a scary dude, that's for sure. And, you know, the people that are listening to this know know a little bit about fights. That's uh, what that's where I kind of cut my teeth on all my recording before, you know, talking to, to male porn stars. Um well, after after COVID's not a big thing, I want to do a fight with him for charity. So, oh, there you go, there you go, fight to win. You guys hear that, Seth? I, I, th- I think Seth is still the one running fight to win. <laughs> I got a I, I got a little background in the jujitsu community, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's how I I first found you, and I so I started following you uh, without any idea of what your current uh, profession was, and. I started recognizing some of the lovely females that you're posting photos with. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, is this jujitsu guy going on to porn sets? And then it turned out, no, no, this guy works on porn sets. And I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and give you an introduction real fast. So we have Will Pounder who is the 2020 AVN best male newcomer and the 2021 best or AVN best VR scene. And he is a, marine vet and has been doing jujitsu for brazilian jiu-jitsu for was it 12 years started back in 2008 yeah oh so you're you're coming up on on year 13 pretty soon here pretty much yeah all right well let's <laughs> we'll we'll get into all the fun stuff a little later but let's go ahead and start way back let's go ahead and start um i'm guessing you went into the core straight out of high school no, out of high school, I was a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I had enough, like, um, in, like enough, so, like, I knew enough about myself that I was like, I need some discipline and I'm not going to get it on my own. <laughs> like, I was, I was too, I was too smart for like my own good. Like, um, for example, I was told, you know, like, you know, when you turn like 16, you're like, I'm gonna go get a car, right? You, you had a, you had a parent, you're like, I'm gonna go get a car. And so I did that. I hit up my, hit up my dad. And I was like, yeah, I want a car. He says, well, go get a job. I was like, 
like, all right. So I went in, I got a job. The only place hiring was flipping burgers. So I flipped burgers for about a month. And I got my first page, I got my paychecks. And I was like, man, I'm never going to buy a car at this rate. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> and the only thing I was good at was basketball. And so I was like, all right, well, what can I do with that? So I spent my whole page, literally my whole paycheck, um, printing out flyers for a one-on-one, a three-on-three, and a five-on-five basketball per- tournament, $5 per person per event. And then I got me and my two buddies, and we put them out at all the rec centers, all the all the uh, high schools, all the college campuses where I, where I grew up. Where at. is this at, like, geographically? Up, up in Idaho. Up in Idaho, all right. M- middle, middle of nowhere. And okay. um, But there was these, they had this, uh, like, McDermott Field, they had these basketball courts. They're not there anymore but they had two courts. And so we set, I set up this big old tournament right there. Well, the first week we did that, got a really big turnout. The second week uh, we did that. I had a vendor pay me uh, 250 bucks. The third week I had a vendor set up shop on the opposite side, pay me 400 bucks. And then the fourth week I got shut down by the city because I didn't have a business. I didn't have insurance. I didn't have a city permit and I was 16 years old. But they let me keep the money and I turned around and bought a car in cash. And that was my first, that's how I got my first car. So you had like that entrepreneurial spirit early on, but you were still a troublemaker. Yeah. And so I ended up, um, uh, my best friend uh, out of high school, he sent, he goes to, he goes to the Marine Corps boot camp, and, and I get a letter from him in the mail and he's, the whole letter is like, this sucks. Whatever you fucking do, don't join the Marine Corps. This is fucking hell. <laughs> like, whatever you do, do not join the Marines. And I was like, well, shit. that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, I was like, all right, I'm gonna go join the military because, like, I don't see a way to get out of this economic black hole in that in that area. And uh, so I, I go to the Armed Forces recruiter, and they they had a. I was I was like, I'm gonna go join the Air Force. I scored really high on the the SATs and the ASVAB and all that but the recruiter was never there and like I went back like like three or four different times it was like two a two-week period and the recruiter there was was never there and the last time I went there was a there was the cadence where it was like one two three and a bunch of people yelled one one two three two and I was like what is that and so I went in there I looked in the window and there was a bunch of bunch of kids working out and I was like well that's something I get behind well, that was a Marine Corps recruiter. And so I ended up signing out. They told me I was shipping out in three months. Two weeks later, I was gone to boot camp. <laughs> so that's pretty, I actually just did my first uh, public speaking event at a, a pulley function. Okay. I went and uh, spit some motivation to a bunch of kids about to join the military. <laughs> there you go. And so what? at what age exactly were you when you decided to sign up? Oh, gosh, I see. 20, I was 20. I was 20. Yeah. Okay. And so how much, how much into your military, you know, career or time, would you say that you found the beautiful art of jujitsu? Ooh, well, in the Marines, you've got McMap, which is ground fighting. So that got me involved into it. And I got into, I was big into bodybuilding. So I got up to about 250 pounds around six, 7% body fat. Damn. I, I was, I was, I was, I was a wall. I was a brick wall. I could lift heavy things, not very fast, but I could lift heavy things. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) um, when I got to, when I got to the fleet, let's say I was 21. So I had a year and a half of school. I was 21. I hit the fleet and my gym partner, uh, his name was Guthro and he looked like he belonged on the cover of muscle magazine, but every day he would come up to me and he's like, do my arms look any bigger? And I was like, 
I don't know, dude, they're the size of my head. And so I was like, that's going to be me in five years. And that scared the shit out of me. So I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not doing this no more. I quit bodybuilding. And then I was like, well, I want to use this muscle for something. So I, uh, I, I looked at some jujitsu schools and then I went and did jujitsu. My command, I told my command, I told my shop, I was like, I'm gonna go fight for the Marine Corps. They literally grabbed everybody in the shop in front of me, had me say what I told them. So I told them, I was like, I'm going to go fight for the Marine Corps and martial arts. They all laughed at me. They literally just laughed. And so every day at 4.30, when I got done uh, done at work, I would drive over to Undisputed. I would go train with Barrett Yoshida. And then uh, and, and then right around like 8.30, 9 o'clock, I'd head back to the barracks. And what happened was, is I was getting my ass kicked. Like, for like six fucking months, I was getting my ass kicked. But it was, it was like to the point where I was like, <laughs> he was only teaching one series a week. And I have a, almost uh, a near photographic memory. And so I was learning it really quick. So I was like picking up words, like what is a, an onomplata? What is, you know, what are all these, I would hear these words, a Kimura, what is, and so I would go onto YouTube and then I had a two hour lunch in the Marines. And so what I was doing is I was watching videos and then I would take my roommate over to the gym on base. And they had this little four by eight square foot mat. And I was just practicing the stuff off of, uh, that I watched on, uh, from YouTube. And so that, that little four by eight square foot mat that's inside this cardio room that's kind of tucked away out of nowhere in the gym, uh, filled up full of Marines wanting to learn jujitsu. Like <laughs> we had over 16 Marines and it was packed. And then there was a line out the door and it was like that for two weeks because I was teaching, I was doing it every day because I got tired to get my ass kicked. <laughs> so so this, is, this is after that first six months. No, this is like month two. Oh, month like, two. Okay. Yeah. Like month, month, month and a half, month two, like the whole first month I was getting my butt kicked. I hate losing. Like I'm really competitive. <laughs> and, uh, it's, so when I fought Barry, I was 250 pounds and I was just like, I, at one point in the fight, I literally curled him with an arm. Like he was up here on my arm and I picked him up on the arm and threw him off. And they just would not stop. He just kept going. And like, we fought for like 20, 30 minutes. It felt like, I don't know how long it was, but it felt like forever until I was completely exhausted and they choked the living shit out of me. <laughs> and uh so i was play, like fighting with all the other guys in the the, the guys in the class they were just kicking my butt because they they use technique and i didn't know it mm -hmm. and uh so i was i was constantly practicing and bringing uh, my roommate to to practice with well mcs saw that this was like a high demand activity so they ended up repurposing a old racquetball court in another building and because what was happening is there were so many marines piling up to watch us on that little four by eight square foot mat that was impeding with the flow of traffic. So, so they got, so they're like, so they gave us this, they gave us this building that was like way out of the way, but it was good enough for us. And this is about three, four months. We filled it up. We had over six, 60 Marines every day showing up to go learn jujitsu. And then right around six months, I almost quit jujitsu. I, I went into to, to the gym and I, this was at the point where I was like, I sucked. And I was, I was average. I was average in the class. Like I wasn't the top dog, but I wasn't getting my ass kicked. I was like, I could survive. And I was like, no, nope, this is fine. I can do this. I walk in, I go, I go practice, I go to practice. We all, it was a, it was a live roll day. And I got submitted 34 times with different variations of a triangle. And this is not from one person. This is from every motherfucker in the class, like ones that were bigger than me, ones that were smaller, ones that I was kicking their butts like 
the, the last week and it was just like it completely crushed my spirit and i was like i don't know if jujitsu is for me <laughs> so I, I literally i literally i took I, I quit i took like two weeks off i was like i don't know if it's me but then the itch came back you know i was mm-hmm. like i'm gonna give us another shot but when i took that time off that six months of like just constantly intaking a high volume of information because it was it was regimented it was literally two hours of uh, watching youtube four hours of training one series a week and like watching video it was it was just a soaking up as much knowledge as i could that it took that time off for it to all just kind of process and then it clicked and so when i went back i smashed everybody in the class and then i stalemated my teacher and i was like okay it just just made sense and so this was right around month six into the sport and then uh so the class at the, where I was at was, uh, we had over 60 plus Marines and a line out the door and we were getting, too, it was getting too big for the, the rack up off court. <laughs> and, uh, at the same time, there was a, a big tournament in San Diego, a double gold medal at the tournament and the all Marine submission grappling team was there. And I choked out everybody on the all Marine grappling team that was in the open weight <laughs> and my weight class. And so they cut me PTAD orders. So that basically they're saying, Hey, we want you to come represent the Marine Corps and do jujitsu. <laughs> and uh, so, so what my, they had laughed at you previously about now they're like, Hey, come on. All right. All it right, gets better. See. It gets better. It gets better. <laughs> so, so I ended up teaming up with a, a warrant officer. Cause I was a Lance corporal. I was a nobody. Like I was just low on the totem pole. And I started this huge program by accident. So <laughs> And so one of the guys I trained with, uh, here's one of my students, a warrant officer, he helped get us 10,000 square foot of mat next to the physical therapy department by the seven day in in Miramar. And so that's where we moved into there. Well, my students were also my upper chain of command, but I didn't know that. They they didn't know that either because nobody wore anything like you don't wear your uniform when you come, you're, you're coming in in shorts and a shirt. And there was, uh, there was these two older gents that were, uh, th- that were talking while I was teaching. And mind you, I had over 100 Marines in my classes. Like, my classes were huge. We had 10,000 square foot mat, over, over 100 Marines on any given day when I was teaching. And I had these two gents that were talking while I was, while I was teaching. Well, that happened to me once when I was talking and Barrett was teaching. And he told me to shut the fuck up and give him 20 burpees. that's the only thing I knew that that was that was my response (laughs) so having these two older gents that are you know clearly been in the military for a long time and they're talking so I told them to shut the fuck up and give me 20 blurpees well he goes to respond and says do you know who I am and I looked at him I says I don't give a fuck who you are give me 20 blurpees or there's the door and I went back to teaching my class (laughs) (laughs) After the class, he comes up to me and says, I'm Lieutenant Colonel, da-da-da-da-da. That was the ballsiest thing anyone's ever told me. And then shook my hand. And I was like, like, all right. (laughs) I didn't know any better. I was like, what? I'm a Lance Corporal. Like, you know, I I started this program out of nowhere by dumb luck of just people wanting to learn how to choke people. And it just kind of blew into this huge thing where we had the the base ended up getting us this big digital sign it was like it, it was like a whole ordeal i was bringing in uh ufc fighters into like the mcs events okay like it, it was it was a big deal and so uh uh then i made it uh so what happened was is my initial shop they denied it they they, they said no no we need you well 
just so happened that my upper chain of command, they were my students. And I think that Lieutenant Colonel was actually my boss's 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 boss. <laughs> and uh, so they ended up approving it. So I, I, I went. And so, that, so I went to the, 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 um, the all Marine submission grappling team. And four months after that, I, so I had this, I had a rule. Whereas if I gold medaled in a large tournament, I would go to the next division. So I started out a novice, I won novice. The next weekend I won beginner. The next weekend I won intermediate. The next weekend uh, I won advanced. And then I was asked, uh, I think his name was Brian Simmons. I don't remember, Grappler's Quest uh, owner. And then I got put into the pro divisions. So in 10 and a half months from the day I started jujitsu uh, is when I entered into the pro divisions in the advanced pro divisions and then i was fighting and i do you know do you know who uh joao assists is i don't he's, he's won a bunch of he's he's phenomenal grappler won a bunch of tournaments won lots of money from the tournaments but i used to watch him on youtube and it, it was like the most surreal moment because like i just got done submitting this guy um and, and for a whole year, I submitted everybody with a crucifix for shits and kicks. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, actually, I don't know if you've seen it, but I posted a, I posted one of my flying crucifixes from an MMA fight back in like 2011 or something. Oh, no, I haven't uh, seen that yeah, one. Yeah, on my Instagram. <laughs> and uh, so, so I look up there, and then I'm looking at Joao Assist standing across the mat from me, and like my jaw dropped, and I was like, I used, and, I, and I couldn't help but I had to go up to him, and I tell him, I was like, I was like, my tail was tucked between my legs. I kind of had my tail down. I was like, hey, man, it's it's a real honor to, to fight you. Um, just so you know, I've been doing jujitsu for less than a year, and I watched all your YouTube videos. <laughs> so you kind of went about it kind of like the John Jones way. Like you kind of learned from all those videos. Now, you said that you were doing um, powerlifting and bodybuilding. And you said that you didn't want to go that route anymore. What made you go towards jujitsu? Like what was, what was your first experience with jujitsu before all of that, that made you want to like learn more about it? Well, I didn't want to get hit in the face. So I figured (laughs) (laughs) there you go. There you go. And then that only kind of postponed that for a while, but yeah, (laughs) for sure. For sure. All right. Go ahead. What else? What else did you did you hit up in the uh, the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu world of the Marines? Oh man! So we won literally almost every tournament um, when the Marine team showed up. Uh, I ended up becoming the head coach not too long after being on the Marine team, and uh, that was that was a trip. <laughs> <laughs> that was a trip. So I, what happened is I would get uh, I would get these guys for six months, and within two weeks they had to go do their first tournament. And my problem is, is when I fight most students from other schools, if I know who their instructor is, nine times out of 10, I know how they fight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that, that, that doesn't work. And so what I would do is with my students is in two weeks, they had to go fight and they had to represent the Marine Corps. And so what I would do is I would grapple with them. And some people have a natural tendencies. Some people naturally tend to go for head control. Some people naturally tend to go for more wrestling maneuvers, maybe from prior history. Mm-hmm. Some people have a, a natch for like kind of locking on into almost like underhooks as almost as if they're trying to isolate an arm. So you play it off of natural tendencies. So what I do is I would roll around with the, uh, with my student for half an hour straight. Like we just, we just 
free roll, I'd go really light. I just want to see how they moved. And that would let me know how they processed information. And then I would develop a, uh, a jujitsu training program for them. Um, for example, one of the guys, he knew, and this is actually a really funny story. He knew a, he knew a guard pass. Uh, he knew how to get to side control, to knee on belly, uh, to the underhook, underhook, set up the set up the kimura, and then finish the kimura. So he only knew one, <laughs> two, three, and a finish. He knew three moves and a finish. He had and he had three steps to a finish. <laughs> three steps to a, that's all he knew. And then for two weeks he drilled those three steps and that move. And if he got into unfamiliar territory. He was to like scramble as best he could to reset, literally have it. He wouldn't even like go past the guard. He would put the guy back in a guard so he could pass his guard again because he had to start from step one, step two, step three and finish. (laughs) He was already past the guard. Like he was in half guard. He could have just slid right under and he's like, nope, puts his leg back, lets the guy close guard again. (laughs) So I'm like, we'll work on that. (laughs) You got to start somewhere. But the kicker of it is so is uh so we, we fought um sometimes one or two tournaments uh a weekend and we were fighting every single weekend. And the rule was if you gold medaled, you go to the next division. So he fought on Friday, he gold medaled, so now he fought in beginner. And beginner, he he won beginner, so now his next tournament was intermediate. So we got a guy that's been doing jujitsu for about three weeks now. His first <laughs> week he beat a novice and, and beginner and his third week he's an intermediate three weeks in jiu-jitsu so we're going out there he's getting ready to go fight this guy uh this guy comes in he, he becomes friends with uh he was talking to one of the competitors and they're all talking he's like well how long have you been doing jiu-jitsu and he's like uh, about two years and he's like oh man i'm a little nervous it's my third week <laughs> <laughs> oh shit so the guy's like so the guy's like oh shoot he's like well what do you know he's like well i know kimuras (laughs) but only if i start at this spot it gets better so then this guy's trying to teach him different kimura setups before he goes out to his fight and uh so he's like okay so they became friends i'm sitting here watching this happen like i was like oh this is good this is funny (laughs) so he goes and fights guard pass neon belly underhook kimura step over boom finish next round does the exact same thing exact same thing little scramble reset back in the guard uh 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 boom and now he's fighting the guy in the finals who's trying to help him teach him new kimura setups <laughs> and this was the best part because then he gets in there and the guy takes him down. So he pushes his head. He scrambles out, gets back up. The guy's on his back, gets him in the guard. And now he's like, this is my game. <laughs> right there, finishes him in a Kimura. He only knew <laughs> So he won an intermediate tournament. <laughs> it's third weekend. Oh, shit. But all of my students did that. Like every single one of them. If they didn't have any, uh, I only had, I have one student that, he trained before uh, he came and never learned. He never got better. The new guys within two weeks was completely destroying him because he brought in past um, bad training habits. And uh, I had the same, almost the exact same story. But one guy, his, his thing was he liked head control. So his whole thing was centered around 
a five finger choke that would turn into a guillotine. So yeah. he would hold their head like a football, and if you didn't respect that, he would end you. He would end you just with like the hook right there, and it's over because yeah. he just controlled his hand and it's over. If you respected it, and then you brought your hands up and you grabbed it, but you didn't mind his legs, he would grab your hands, use your own hands to choke you out with, and then throw, like <laughs> they only knew like the like almost every single guy for their first month only knew one guard pass, one transition. <laughs> like that was there's, it. There's nothing more demoralizing than being choked out with your own limbs. I, I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> oh man. All right. So let's go down, down the road a little bit. So you're, you're going doing this for, I'm going to guess about six years. What happens, what happens to your back at some point? Oh, well, so it was Are coming up time the core at this time. I'm in the core right now. And I was, at, I was facing the point of, am I going to re-enlist or am I going to get out? Um, what happened was, is Team Blackhouse, uh, the Noguera brothers, Junior DeSantos, Silva, uh, they came in to do a seminar on base, uh, on the base. And so then they brought, uh, we, we brought my com- competition guys out because we thought this was just a showboat thing. They're going to show us their moves and, you know, for, for all the Marines and families that are coming out there to watch at this big event well these motherfuckers actually started trying to choke us all out so my students come and ask me they're like hey coach um they're actually trying to choke us out uh can we fight back (laughs) (laughs) so i told him i was like well i mean if they're gonna try to choke you out then fuck it choke them back you know like go for it and so went out there and i have a very elusive game uh if you know barrett my game emulates his but kind of very different but i run a crucifix game and it's a bait game if you touch a leg or if you go into a deep half guard or if there's a hand on the mat or if you give me head control you're going to end up in a crucifix mm-hmm. um and so that's what happened i started catching everybody in crucifixes so then they invited me over to their pro practice and then i caught everybody there in crucifixes <laughs> and <laughs> so i was like so i got invited on the team to go train so i made the decision i was going to go compete and pursue a career of martial arts so that's what led me to get out of the military while i was in the military i was getting between four and eight hours of mat time a day and competing on the weekends so what happened was is when i was an mct in the final hike i broke my l5 and it's fractured i got mri an mri done it's it's still kind of it's still fucked up and uh because I was always working out, I was always stayed limber. I was always warmed up. It never actually caused a problem. And when I got out, those guys only trained once, rarely twice a day. And I was literally my training time got cut in half and then my back started hurting. So it was about a month, month and a half. When I got out, I went to the, I went to the VA because I was like, yo, my back's kind of hurting i told him i was like it doesn't feel muscular but they were like so insistent on giving me pain or uh, muscle relaxers and i didn't know any better then so i was like all right well because in the marines when they give you stuff you kind of have to take it like you know mm-hmm. there's not many options as far as not taking shit when they give it to yeah, you you know not a lot of saying no <laughs> yeah so so i took those and by the time i made it to the exit of the hospital i couldn't move my legs and uh, turns out my my spine turned into a two, and where it was fractured was hitting a nerve, cutting off the feeling to my leg, so I couldn't walk. So I was like, "All right, well, I guess that's the end of the fight career." <laughs> like over, <laughs> literally overnight, I was like, my my whole mindset was like, "Well, this sucks." <laughs> so, 
I, at least I had the GI Bill. So I went to school and got a degree in business and project management. And that was like, as far as I was concerned, the last time I did jujitsu until about uh, 10 years later when I fought uh, Lachlan Giles um, on UFC Fight Pass almost as a publicity stunt <laughs> and caught him in a crucifix and almost put him to sleep. <laughs> and and uh, the, the running joke was, is that's actually how I became friends with Craig Jones and Gary. <laughs> uh the the, the running joke was like he said he was gonna because he turned purple like he was about one second to go into sleep mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up catching me in a heel hook but he told everybody that uh if i was anybody else if i was edwin or if i was craig or anybody else he says he would have tapped but he said he refused to tap to a porn star <laughs> <laughs> so that was the running joke. <laughs> yeah, it's it, that. I mean, that's probably up there with the demoralizingness of getting choked out with your own limbs. <laughs> well, but, my job's very athletic. Like, it's not. Yeah, it's not like know, I'm sitting at a desk the whole day. You know, I I can comfortably say I could not do your job. Ninety nine percent of men can't do the job. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and dive into that. We've covered the Marines. We've covered jujitsu. Now let's get into your current profession, male porn star, male adult performer. How, how does this come about? How does like, at what point does this transition? Like, you know, do you see the opportunity? What leads you to do it? And then what, what, what kind of reservations did you hold about doing it? Cause I'm, I'm sure that there's a moment that you thought, can I, should I do this? Can I do this? So walk me through all of that. Okay. Well, before we even got to that point, never once that I say the words come out of my mouth, say, I want to be a porn star. That, that never, I never said that. I have never said that. Um, what actually happened is my back was broke. Couldn't walk for two years. They said I couldn't, they, they said I most likely won't be able to really regain full control um they wanted to fuse my back i worked with the body worker who told me not to do that so two years i got 255 pounds of fat and i realized i wasn't happy and then i lost 55 pounds in three months um i battled with uh type 2 bipolar because my diet went to shit and then that Mm -hmm. came up even worse and i was in mania and hypomania for a year or or nine to eleven months a year and i'd only have about one week of functioning memory and so like the first year that happened, it's like I woke up and it felt like it, it kind of felt like I just like you, you just play, opened up a video game and like your character loaded. And I was like, you're level 29. You're living here. You have X amount in your bank account and you look at your phone and you don't recognize any of the pictures. So you're like, all right. So this is what happened the last like 11 months. Um, that's wow. kind of what it felt like. So I started taking this uh, nootropic called Q96 from Q Sciences. And then I started feeling emotions while well, I was like, well, this is fucking weird. So I quit that shit because that was weird. <laughs> and uh, uh, went back into hypomania from, from bipolar. So another year went by. Um, <laughs> a knee surgery uh, knocked me out of it. And I checked myself into the VA mental health ward because I was like, yo, this is two years of memory gone. Like, what the fuck is going on right now? And uh, they never followed up with me go figure it's the fucking va va for you <laughs> and uh so then i recycled the third year it hit i was like i can't fucking live like this like i was i was at my wits fucking in you know like there's three years i don't remember anything like i, I can 10 percent of the photos from the year i can remember and so i was like all right so i took the i took i got like 
freaking six or seven bottles of that Q96. I started taking it. And then I was like, all right, these are emotions. Weirdest fucking feeling ever from living your life, not feeling them, than to feel them. It was really fucking weird. And then, but I, I processed out all the emotions. I figured out what they were there for. And then I dove into the internet of research of other people that had bipolar and try to figure out what the fuck it was because Western medicine has their heads shoved up fucking pharmaceutical uh, ass because they just want to pump, pump you full of fucking synthetics. Yeah. And that shit doesn't fucking work. So I, I dove into fucking research because I was like, I got to figure this shit out. And I found like uh, some common denominators, like our, our parents were taught not to eat fat. Their parents were taught not to eat fat. <laughs> you, you've seen the trend. Yeah. The number the number one thing across the board of diets um, in, in the blogs and the comments of blogs regarding BP was a high healthy fat diet seemed to help these people out a lot. And I was like, okay, interesting. So then I started, you know, you look micro to macro, you follow dietary trends with everyone's parents not telling them to uh, eat fats. No wonder you have a whole generation with mental illness out the wazoo because the deficiency of omega-3s has a direct correlation to the emotional campus. And then as of last year, they, they officially discovered through MRIs that uh, narcissists or narcissism, that behavior is a deficiency of omega, uh, of, it's a deficiency of healthy fats or brain injury to the brainstem, which is reversible by, by diet. So what I did is I cut out all caffeine, all sugar, and tripled the dosage of high-quality fish oils um, because if you go get fish oils and you research what's a good quality, you realize there's a lot of shit on the market. And <laughs> like, it's, I swear, it's like the biggest fucking scam ever. So you have to find like high-quality fish oil. Real quick, you said that you took out caffeine. What was the reasoning behind that? So too much caffeine is a vasoconstrictor and it actually adversely affects the brain. Same thing with sugar. So, okay, like you can get by with like one cup of coffee, but I'm not like during that time period, I wasn't concerned. Like my main focus wasn't, oh, I need energy of the day. My main focus was I need to fix my fucking brain so I can actually have a life. Like I, yeah. I can get, so I set everything else aside as like, this is my last resort. Because one of the things was, is I didn't have my memory and emotions would cause like your brain's like a computer. So if you're like uh, programming a computer to count to 10, but you don't tell it when to stop, it'll continue counting until it blue screens to death. Yeah. And so that's why the angry bipolar is the most recognizable bipolar, because when they feel a little bit of anger or frustration, there's their brain doesn't tell them how much to feel. So it just goes over the top. And uh, I found that I spent a whole year helping people uh, fix themselves through, through diet and nutrition uh, of BP had a hundred percent success rate. And it's not just the angry, it's any emotion. I was, I personally was a, was a happy bipolar. So if I felt happy or joy, it was over the top and I was easily manipulated by pretty much anybody. Yeah. So it's very interesting how things correlated and it ended up. So the gist of it is I, I was taking the, uh, I was doing the healthy diet and I was doing that and I would cut everything and I would see how long I could go until symptoms came back. And it was usually about a week and a half to two and a half weeks where stuff would come back. Well, I've been a big fan of physics since I was a little kid. Like I've always liked watching the physics conference and that's just my thing. Like I, understand, like I like reality. I like ancient Sumeria, like ancient Egypt, all that kind of stuff always fascinated me. And um, especially theoretical physics. And there was this doctor, 
uh, that spoke at a physics conference and that like, kind of stuck with me. And he talked about maintenance levels and treatments levels. And you have like the energetic body that also affects the biological body, but the Western medicine doesn't recognize the energetic body, even though they go hand in hand, because a lot of the pharmaceuticals actually suppress the energetic body, which where it's why one pill leads into taking more pills because multiple symptoms of things. Yeah. And uh, so, so the thing that he, he said that really kind of stuck with me is was maintenance levels and treatments levels. So what I did instead of taking the daily dosage of the uh, high quality omega threes and stuff, I tripled the dosage. And I did that for three months. And after that, I cut everything cold turkey and I waited and I waited and I waited. Nothing came back. Six months later, nothing came back. To this day, nothing's came back. And at that point, I started talking to other, like I talked to other family members that um, like distant cousins and stuff. And I was explaining what relationships felt like before and relationships and friendships felt like after I got emotions so, or before it felt like it was a, it was like a task. It's like, if the, the relationship's in trouble, then it's like everything else focuses on this to fix it. Second, it's fixed. It's like, okay, we're good. Everything else focusing on that. Forget about this. That's literally how it was. It felt like it was yeah. a, a thing that needed to be done, but it was because um, all the emotions were learned. It was, it was a learned beat process. It wasn't a, um, it, I didn't it feel wasn't innate. Yeah. And the thing was, it's like, you would feel emotions in the moment, but the the way the BP was worked because it's a miscommunication of the emotional campus due to the degradation of that part of the brain. The when you experience emotions, the memories that are attached to that don't get to the short term memory, and then they don't get to long term memory. So that was what was causing the memory problem, and that's why I was I didn't remember like nine to eleven months, and uh, and that was type two, which was genetic based. So ended up fixing it. Memory came back. Emotions came back. I, I was like fucking 30 years old going through puberty. It felt like it was a fucking crazy <laughs> thing. <laughs> but it worked. So you did what any 30-year-old going through puberty was, was would think to do. And you're like, it's time to go fuck on camera. No. So that was completely different. So this is at the same. So I, was, uh, I, got, I got my degree. Um, I reverse engineered a video game called Elder Scrolls Online. Okay. And uh, I'm aware. Okay, and so I, me and my four friends, we fought everybody on the server, and we won. And so I ended up meeting with the developers. They had, they had really bad programming, and they had too many variables that stacked on top of each other. And so I sent them an email to try and let them know, and they didn't. And so I was like, well, fuck it. I got a broken back. I got nothing else better to do. So I sat there and took advantage of it and pretty much made my character invincible, and I could one-shot anybody. So... I did that with my four friends and we killed everybody. And then the forums went crazy. I met with the developers, got a job as a change management specialist. Um, Was this with Bethesda? No. So we played this game because uh, we call ourselves the Dark Brotherhood, you know, <laughs> following the lore. And all we were was just, we were just gankers. It, it was, we just like to laugh and troll people. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, we, we had this game where as if like we pick one person and we could only kill that person that night. So we like so out of like the fifty or a hundred people that are on the battlefield, we had to stealth through everybody and only kill that one person. So some poor sap was like the victim and was just having getting shat on that day. Like it wasn't his day. Why does Will Pounder keep fucking killing me? <laughs> Mom, we need faster internet. Well, one of the guys I did that to, he owned a change management uh, firm, and so he rerolled a new character. He's like what are you doing 
to kill me because he was like he says i'm i'm hiding in buildings i'm like hiding with the zerg i'm hiding with the zerg leader like he's like he, he says he's like doing everything he's like yeah it doesn't matter like we fuck with everybody you know so i was like i'll tell you what come play with us i'll show you what we do so i showed him what i did and uh so he, he's like you're actually kind of smart and he like he said he liked the like the way i processed information so he's like he sent me a problem. He's like, we're working on this company and we're streamlining it. Well, I had a little bit of experience with this uh, from the Marines because I got my Lean Six Sigma belt of reduced waste, optimizing and all that. So I, I looked over what he gave me and I told him, was like, well, with, I looked at different processes and I said, well, if, with these processes, I would send these out to a company that can do them more efficiently and for less because they're not time gated. And I just pretty much wrote out like a brief thing of how it streamlined their operation. Well, he liked that. And so then he ended up hiring me as a, as a change management specialist. And so I did that, uh, finished my degree and I didn't like living up in Idaho cause it was fucking cold, like nine months out of the year. And, uh, so, uh, I wanted to become a project manager and fell a little bit short, went in as a quality assurance inspector, but they didn't have a QA program. This was at a uh, UCSD in San Diego. Okay. And so I went down there, uh, used Excel programmed, I like I created the entire uh, QA uh, program. Like I wrote an Excel program that populated uh, an email to go to each individual supervisor of every floor to the, the, the supervisor of the campus, to the building, to the Dean. So every, like I automated the whole fucking thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> instead of spending like tens of thousands on a software thing, this motherfucker with YouTube <laughs> figured it out, <laughs> put it that way. And then, uh, then I found a bunch of other problems on the campus. Well, I wanted to be a project manager because that's what I got my degree in. So what I did is I, uh, I took all these problems and I put my resume at the bottom of the stack. I went to the assistant director and I says, hey, these are some of the problems I found along the campus. And I had him look at it. So he looked through all of them, saw my resume at the bottom, created a position as a project manager, hired me. I became a new project manager. I interviewed, hired the guy that replaced me as the QA inspector. And then I started a, a new project and that's how I, I got a promotion. And then, uh, so while I was doing that, I got told I looked like Ryan Reynolds a lot. And so basically, basically when that happened, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go do a film, like like a film festival, just, just like a check mark in the box, just to say I did it. <laughs> And uh, so I went to a film festival. I played the host of a sexaholic anonymous class for a political comedy. And then there was this action film. And so I, they, I was the lead guy in this, this big martial arts action flick. And so the director had this warehouse for like an hour and he needed to film this whole fight scene. And I could hear him talking. He's like, we only have this place for an hour. And I don't, I don't know how we're going to get all these guys to fight. So I asked him, I was like, can I just choreograph this? Like, I'm, I'm pretty good at this stuff. And uh, he's like, sure, let's go at it. So I went up and there's like, the, there's the eight guys that I'm going to have to beat up. And I was like, all right, who has martial arts experience? Literally nobody raises their hands. And I was oh, like, shit. I was like, all right. I looked at the director. I looked at the clock. This is what's going to happen. You guys are all going to fight me for real. Pull your punches. You know, when you're knocked out, don't Hollywood it. If you Hollywood it, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> okay so director's like all right let's give it a go so we went at it uh, about like 30 seconds into the whole fight sequence one of the guys hollywood's a reaction couldn't predict it he eats a knee to the face i call cut <laughs> i tell everybody look this is very important you're not gonna hurt me and if you don't want to get hurt don't hollywood it because you will off center your center of gravity and then i can't predict where you're gonna go 
<laughs> and so they're like, okay. So then we shot it and we shot the whole thing straight through one take. Fought eight guys right through. And afterwards, the director was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so I started working in mainstream and they were, the studios uh, in Southern California were shooting around my work schedule. Like they would stay open up late or they would like they would wait until I got done with work to open up to go film stuff and I'm talking like green screens like I was on bungee cords <laughs> running on the fucking wall like just doing all sorts of like ridiculous stuff yeah and uh so that I started making more money on the side uh acting than I was as a project manager that's how busy it, it snowballed wow and uh so at the time I was I was getting ready to uh, do a fitness competition because I was on that path I was 255 pounds lost uh 50 pounds I just trimmed up and i was like i'm gonna go do a fitness competition you know just to mark the caps like the before and the after yeah. and so i started doing that and then i got um then i got um asked to model underwear and instead of paying like five or six hundred bucks to go walk on stage wearing underwear these guys wanted to pay me 500 bucks to wear underwear <laughs> take pictures so i was like we'll go with this route so that's <laughs> so I started underwear modeling logical choice <laughs> one's paying my bills the other one is like a fucking paperweight that's just gonna sit on my desk i'm like okay that's great we'll go this route and so i did that and then i got asked to audition for a military tv show and i was cutting weight i told him i would do it i've, I've always been a man of my word and <laughs> i was i was cutting weight i was really angry my computer wasn't working i didn't know what a slate was i had to google what the fuck is a slate? And it's like, oh, it's your name. And I was like, all right. So I was over it. I didn't want, I didn't even want the part anymore, but I told him I was going to submit him something. So I'm like, all right, fuck this shit. I hit record. I said, my name's Will motherfucking Pounder and I'm going to read you this stupid ass script. And I read it fucking verbatim, monotone verbatim, <laughs> <laughs> like dry as I possibly could. The director and the casting director they're watching it. They hear my name's Will motherfucking. And then they paused it and said, that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so now I ended up on a military TV show. I was like, well, I guess I'm on for the ride. Let's do it. <laughs> so I get on uh, when I'm on the TV show, they had a, a guest adult film star that was on the show. Do you need to close the window? Hold on one second. No worries. Well, vamp. I I had no idea that I was going to be getting this kind of a story uh, from Will. It's it's actually really crazy cool to hear. Sorry, I'm, right. I'm talking to the people that aren't here just yet. <laughs> so, uh, but go ahead and continue. Okay. So uh, when I was on the TV show, they had this uh, a guest adult film star that showed up. And she wanted to shoot a scene with me. And I said, no. And she's like, well, let's make a bit of it. And I was like, look, I, my acting career is taking off. This will probably get in the way of my acting career. I was like, she wanted to make a bit of it. So I was like, all right, well, I'll tell you what. This production had to shoot around my schedule. In two days, I'm jumping on an airplane to go film a commercial at a resort. And then I'm flying back to San Diego to play uh, Captain America at Comic-Con. If those gigs cancel, then I'm all yours. Put that out in the universe. The next day, my agent calls me and he says, I got some bad news. 
those jobs canceled. Oh, he didn't say it that simple. He kind of kicked that out over a freaking 15 minute conversation to say those two simple things, but you get the drift. So I was like, all well, right. I'm, I'm pretty sure the agents get paid per word they speak. So that's how they, they choose to go about things. <laughs> Only when they're trying to fluff up your ego. <laughs> 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 so, so that's that's how i ended up shooting my first scene all right and who who was your your first co-star well she's not in the industry no more so i'm gonna just i'm just gonna okay. leave that one out no problem no just problem. out of respect yeah I, I totally understand now you and i are both uh you know we came into the sin industry a little late in like not late in life but you know later than a lot of people i work in the cannabis industry a little different than than yourself but how how did those conversations go with like family because i i can't speak for you i i come from a mormon household i was raised mormon um you know almost did the the whole mission thing and everything and you know now i work in weed and so i got some some of my family that find it uncomfortable have you had to face any of that? I, I usually, I don't really talk about family. Okay. I just kind of let them do our own thing. We don't, we don't talk about work. I gotcha. There you go. There you go. And that's, that's cool, man. That's, that's a good way to, to go about it. So how long have you been doing uh, adult films? Been doing that for three years. I took six months off due to a knee surgery. And then I took six months off due to COVID. So collectively two years two years okay i tell everybody as as i was leading up to this i was like yeah i'm interviewing the tom hanks of the adult film industry the guy's got two <laughs> awards like how 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 did that first feel of winning that because um it kind of seems like there's a bunch of guys that do they'll appear for about six months at a time and then they kind of disappear quickly how did it well, feel to to not only get that, you know, six months in and then eventually get the newcomer of the year award. And how has that propelled you forward? Well, one, one, I felt pretty good because my girl who I'll show you right here. This is my beautiful girlfriend. There you go. You, is that better? I'm getting the reflection uh, of the computer. Uh, oh, there, there we, we go. go. There we there go. We go. <laughs> She she won Girl Girl Performer of the Year, and then right after she got the award, my name pops up on there for winning. So I was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" <laughs> so it was like power couple right there, you know. <laughs> and uh, so that felt really good. Um, what that did for hold on one sec. What that did for the career is any director that didn't know who I was now knew who I was. So that that was the purpose of it. Yeah. Do you know why that most guys have a six month and they're out life in the industry? I do not. So this is actually be an entertaining story. Let's hear it. <laughs> Let's hear it. I'm excited. And this is also very important because this is why I don't recruit people into the industry. So if you're looking to slide into my DMs to give you pointers on how to get into the industry, you are talking to the wrong person. I lost the fucking bet. That's how I got in. So how you're going to get in, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but here's why I won't put my name on it. Because 99.9% .9 of people will fail because you are a champ in your bedroom. But when you're on set and you are lit up like the 4th of July with four or five lights, 
the temperature of the room is 10 to 20 degrees hotter than it normally is. You have anywhere from two to eight people, sometimes even more, that are watching you and judging you because everybody's paycheck depends on you being able to get your dick hard. That's just, that's giving me anxiety and I'm not even in the situation. That. Well, hold on. That's not oh, all. It gets it. better. It gets better. It gets better. So no one knows who you are because you're brand new. So the girl that you're working with, you're most likely going to be working with the cheap company because every, all the all the the more established companies already have their go-to guys. Mm-hmm. So when you come in and you're going to be working for a cheap company, you may or may not get a girl that wants to be there. So now you got a girl that's probably not really even into you to begin with. That's just there to collect the paycheck. You've got the entire crew and the director that is judging you because their paychecks depend on whether you can get it hard or not. And the second you feel a little bit of self-doubt, it's a downward spiral. You can take all the Viagra, Cialis, whatever the fuck you want to take. It's not going to help. Blue Chew, I'm waiting for you guys to reach out for sponsorship. <laughs> and so that's why what happens. So when if you, if you flop a scene and you fell a scene, the word gets out. And then you don't get booked anymore. It's almost a one and done. It very well can be. Damn. And so that's that's why it doesn't matter. Like we'll we'll put it this way: I had a, a friend of mine. He got a, a producer of a of a TV show that wanted to find the next big male porn star. And this was this was years ago. And he said, "You're not going to do it." And he's like, "No, we're going to interview hundreds of people. Like we're we're going to find it." And he says, "You're not going to find anybody that's going to even get their dick card." And literally, that's what he says. And they're so insistent on it. So he's like, well, if you pay me, I will run the show, but you got to pay me before I do it. And they're like, okay, no more. So they run the show. They interview hundreds of guys. These are guys that are saying that they're, they're every, everywhere from like, I can do this. I'm a fan to I'm a, I'm a alpha dominant. Da, 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 I'm a good, I'll go run like everybody. Every, they were literally trying to find the next big male porn. Like that was their goal. And they brought, they had the set. They had a really hot girl because they didn't want they, they wanted to give they wanted to try and give you everything that you needed to succeed. Yeah. And a hot girl who was like, let's do this. I want it, like trying to be friendly. They interviewed, I think it was like over 300 people. And they had three guys almost get hard. Of those three guys, two of them got hard. The second he came in with the camera, went soft. And then the last guy um, popped with a limp dick. Like it wasn't hard, but he popped. And that was, that was it. That was 300. So over 300 oh, guys man. couldn't even get it up. Like they tried. They couldn't even get it up. And out of that, it was like three actually might have been able to do something. But the second it came into it, couldn't do it. Yeah. Wow. It, I, guess I, I guess I've never really given it that much thought. I guess – my question for you is how how did you overcome that? So the guy who won best male newcomer the year before I did, he was top of his class in the Marine Corps. When I won, I was top of the class in the Marine Corps. And we have like this mentality of this is a job. If you're trying to do it for your own personal pleasure, you're going to fail. You might have one or two good ones, but you're going to get, you're going to work with someone that you're not attracted to. You're going to have an off day. You're going to have something. And if you're approaching it where you're trying to work and it's based off of your personal pleasure, you're going to tank and you'll be out in six months or less. That's fucking fascinating. 
but we, we, we realize that we approach it that this is a job, this is the, the mission. So we do what you got to do for a mission. And I treat um, the same way I treat going to work is the same way as I treat going out to fight. You know, my diet's on point. I work mm-hmm. out. I don't take any supplements. I, I don't take any blue pills. I don't take, I don't take anything because um, when I first got in, I was told to do that. And that actually worked against me. <laughs> <laughs> I was 250 pounds and all the blood halfway through the scene was ending up in my legs. <laughs> so I was like, that ain't working. <laughs> Um, so I say it has to do with that and then just the mentality. Okay. All right. I do have some listener slash viewer questions I want to want to go to. All right. I put it out on, on Instagram. I told everybody to be respectful because it is, it, it's a weird, it's a weird situation for me to be in because I never thought I'd be in the position to be asking questions to somebody in your profession. <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. Like, I don't want to come off like the Howard Stern type, but I also, you know, you got, I, I'm, I'm a jokester at heart. I'm a stand-up comedian. So I told everybody, keep it, keep it uh, professional, but you know, dude, jokes are allowed. <laughs> when COVID's over, I want to do a stand-up comedy skit. I got so much material. You don't even know. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what you told me. You can I'm go actually in with a plan, the, and it won't always go well. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm friends with uh, Jay Davis. He runs the comedy club in, in Hollywood. Okay, nice, nice. All right, so first question up. I'm not going to say who they're from because I'm not sure they want, <laughs> they want people to know <laughs> that they had these questions for you. So uh, first question was, what were your career goals growing up? Because you sound like you had the photographic memory. Mm-hmm. You're fascinated by physics like just from listening to you, I assume something in the engineering realm. Yeah. So I actually built a electromagnetic engine when I was 16. Um, (laughs) That's just, I was always into uh, electricity, energy and all that kind of stuff. I was a, I was a research subject uh, with theta healing, uh, a lot of metaphysics as a research group that was trying to study the, um, the effects of metaphysics of that world and the physics of this world. And a lot of physicists kind of play in, in, in that area. There's a lot of theoretical science between that. I kind of always wanted to go in, in that direction. Um, what kind of deterred that route is the where I grew up, there wasn't enough, ch- like put it this way, I slept through all of school and I had memorized the entire, the entire curriculum the first week. And so I, nothing was challenging enough to do it. Um, like in college, uh, when it came down, like there's statistics, one of my best friends, he's one of the top marketers in the world. And we became uh, best friends uh, through a statistics class because I slept the whole class and he <laughs> sat right beside me. And he, he's like, he's actually like, aren't, aren't you worried about like not being able to do this? And I was like, I told him, I was like, the teacher's from like Iran or something. I can't understand a word she's saying with that accent. <laughs> And he's like, so you what, you're just going to fail the class? I was like, no, I just read the book and it's easy. <laughs> so I taught him, I taught, I, re, I taught him statistics while we're in class <laughs> and that's how we ended up becoming friends. But I just wasn't challenged enough to go in that direction. So I guess I didn't, I, I would say I didn't have the proper guidance to use what I had then to go in that, that route. Instead, I used what I knew to actually figure out how to survive. Yeah. And then. And then I studied like the, where I was at, I figured out it was a, an economic black hole because if you weren't 
if you weren't Mormon, if you weren't um, a business owner or you didn't do construction, you, you're kind of fucked. You know, yeah. you know, like you're kind of, there, there is no growth out there. There wasn't anything. So I knew I had to leave. And then the only person I knew that had left had joined the Marine Corps. And I was like, I knew I had to leave. So when I left, I scored really, really high on the ASVAP. Mm-hmm. So I could pick any career that I wanted. So I picked uh, avionics and I wanted, and I went the, I was thinking that that was going to take me into the electrical engineer route, kind of following that. Cause that's the path I went, but they, they threw me into uh, um, working on circuit cards and infrareds. So I went to school for a year for that. And that was a joke. <laughs> like, funny story about that first time ever on pain meds um my chit said sick and quarters but i was too fucking high to read my chit so i showed up to class anyways and in that one week i finished three and a half months worth of the curriculum and graduated early (laughs) but i have no memory of it that was the best um but so like i thought that was taking me in that direction and then my the, when it came time to the, the MOS where they narrow down which job you get, yeah. um, I kind of got a job that a monkey could do, like literally take equipment, plug it in, computer tells you what's wrong, find what's wrong, take it out, replace it, test it, send it out. Like it was it was it was dumb. So I didn't get to use any of that. And then so when I was in the shop, I was I was in that my actual marine shop for like six months. I was like, fuck this shit, because all I did was lift weights. And before I got into weights, I I read everything is like how the body um builds muscle like what is a hypertrophic state how do you maximize results how do like i I read everything i possibly could before i went into it because i put you know that's just how my brain works i went from like 205 to 250 in about a little over a year like i put on a lot of muscle very very quickly and i didn't take anything and uh so so it just it it just never ended up going in that direction unfortunately (laughs) Well, then I got I got a follow up. What are your career goals now? So right now, I just hired a full time assistant, and I'm working for the studios one to two times a day, literally almost every day. Okay. And so I'm starting to make more things on my own because as that starts making more profit, I'm going to limit my studio time. Uh, by half and then fill my own stuff on the other half but i do have a surprise curveball coming in this year because i got a a lead role in a hulu tv show so no shit yeah it's kind of crazy but there's crazy shit happens all the time um (laughs) my my old agent who never booked me a job by the way (laughs) he told he told me he's like will i'm gonna be honest with you you don't need me and because at the time i was booking myself out it, it was like a, it was a just a referral basis i could fight yeah. i looked like ryan reynolds <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was just the thing and so uh I, I i did really really well doing this so he said you don't need me and so we just became friends and so i told him uh, i told him about the the mental health i spent a whole year helping people with mental illness and it was a referral basis and you know, learned so many cool things about the about the brain through that process so i told him about that uh, two years ago, I told him, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go walk the red carpet. And he gives me that good old boy speech. He's like, you can do anything you put your mind to. And I was like, yep. Well, later that year, I won some awards and walked the red carpet. And so he tells every, all of his all of his actors, he's like, you just got to have that go-getter mindset. Like, this guy Will's like, he tells me he's going to do something. There's no doubt in my mind he's going to go out there and do that. And I'm just like, all right. <laughs> well, over 
over uh he sells other people's scripts to the the studios and over covid he wrote his own script but he wrote me he wrote the lead character of the script as me being the lead character and didn't tell me until he sold it so he sold it and i get this like phone call and we're talking for like three and a half hours i'm like okay like where's this going he's like so by the way if you got any time this year um and you want to work on a Hulu TV show, you're kind of the lead character. Your contract's actually written into it. So <laughs> I was like So you're you're gonna be going at it on both both ends, the adult way and mainstream. That doesn't happen a whole lot. I you know, I mean, I, I think that the of the women, the people that have done it the best are like Sasha Gray. Ah, and I didn't do enough research leading up to this. So I, that's all, that's the only number that's coming to my head, but that's, you know, that's not bad company to keep. She, she's killing it right now. I actually just, I just saw her on uh, another podcast um, and she's doing the damn thing. So your goal is to, are you looking to eventually kind of break into your own type of production studio? Or are you just kind of looking to keep it just to you or how's that shoot, work? I'm going to shoot my own stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm ahead in that route because I want to be able to travel the world and I can't do that if I'm stuck on the studio's schedules. Yeah. You just, you never leave in the Valley at that point. <laughs> I've always had that mindset of you come up with a goal of what you want on how you want to live and then work backwards from that goal and figure out, well, how do I get there? <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah. if the goal is like, I want to make money while I'm on vacation living my life. I was like, okay, well, what are some other places? How do other people do that? So then you look up them and then you're like, all right, well, I can do this. Well, what's the precursor to that? Okay. Well, what happened before that? And then you work yourself backwards and you kind of just established your own roadmap on how to get there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So would it be presumptuous to say that you are going to be the first person to get an AVN, an Emmy, and an Oscar? I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I don't try, I don't, my, my goal is not to go for awards. My goal is just to do a good job. Uh, good jobs usually get recognized. I mean, beyond the politics of, of awards, it can sometimes be difficult, but do you, do you plan on keeping it adult themed or do you want to kind of broaden the horizon a little bit, but keep your, keep your foot in it. If that, if you're enjoying it, at least. Depends on uh, where the wind blows. Yeah. Um, every time I've tried, I've come up with like a distinct plan, you know, kind of, I thought I was going to be a professional martial artist. Like I thought that was going to be the route, you know, yeah, like, and then, then it detoured. And then I thought I was going <laughs> this route. And then it's like, oh, no, nope, universe says, bam, you're a porn star. It's like, okay, well, how long am I doing this? I know it's not going to be forever. And then like, boom, like mainstream hit. Maybe I'm going to go off this way. You know, I don't know. It's like, like, it's like Mike Tyson. He, he said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And you know, your punches in the face have been you know, different than others. <laughs> yeah. You, you, uh, you use the card that you dealt with, use the hand that you dealt with, and then you roll with the punches. You try to make the best out of the situation. As Paul Rudd says in forgetting Sarah Marshall, when life gives you lemons, just say, fuck the lemons and bail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another, another deep question. What brings you joy? Ooh. Um, I like helping people. Helping people. So I think that does it. Um, 
because what's I, what's been the greatest thing re- reward wise for you what's the best thing that you've been able to do to help others was it the helping people with mental illness uh-huh. okay because i know what it was like to feel like you're not in control over your own life like li- literally like like i became a 100 percent different person after it was fixed versus before even my friends that stayed in touch through that my voice changed the foods i like changed my personality changed um a lot of things changed and so i know personally what it was like like struggling just trying to figure out what the fucking reality is when your brain doesn't work because you're not yourself when your brain doesn't work and then when i started helping other people go through that that were in the mix like the only way i was able to bridge that was to talk to them about my experiences and then they're like wait I was like that. Like I can relate to that. And I was like, really? Well, how about this is what I did to fix it. Why don't you give it a shot? And so then I took, well, here, take these, take the Q96 from, from Q sciences. They changed the name. Like I think like last year to a new formula, which is even better. Okay. And then I told them to uh, take the double, triple the dosage of a high quality fish oil, cut out sugar and caffeine for three months and see how it works. And like, there was a, like one of the people that I helped, he was a, he was a Navy pilot and he got diagnosed with a bipolar, had an episode and was kicked out of the, the Navy for it. And they had him on two different types of synthetics, including lithium. And I told him, he asked me, he's like, should I, should I quit taking my meds or should I take them? He's like, I'm scared not to, like, I don't want to go back to that. And I told him, I was like, look, I'm no psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor, but I, what I can tell you is all this stuff is just food. And if you have a problem taking food, then it, there's there's some bigger issues that got to deal with. And, and I'm not your person for that. And I said, but I told him, I was like, if you do this, you will know if you need to take those or not. And so he took them three days afterwards. And this has happened so many times, like almost every single person that was on meds, it was three days after taking them, they felt like the, the synthetics were fucking with their head. They quit taking them, made 100% recovery. And I, I've not, not a single person relapsed. I'm really glad that you're talking about this because this is something I've never personally talked about on my show or any of my previous shows, but I've, I've dealt with um, serious depression and things like that going, you know, way back into my life. And, you know, it, it likes to creep itself back up and not a lot of people, at least not, not the, the names or the heads that you see talking on the TV ever want to talk about the importance of what you're putting into your body on a daily basis. Like, I was, I was at a point, this was three years ago that I, I knew that I wanted to end my life, but I knew that that was wrong. And I knew that the, what I was doing to myself with the, the, you know, quote unquote food that I was putting in my body at that time. Yeah. Cause when you're, when you're eating nothing but fast food, it's not really food. It's, it's not fuel. It's, it really is killing you in the worst ways possible. It is putting you into those bad mind spaces. It is, you know, actively making you fatter. I mean, I'm, I'm coming from a point of, I got to my highest weight in uh, 20 at, at the beginning of 2020, I was two pounds shy of 400 pounds. And, you know, here we are in 2021. I'm, I'm not losing it like crazy, but I'm, I'm still, I'm down to, uh, what was I down to last time I checked? It was a uh, 353. And so, you know, just changing what you're putting into your body and how you're, you know, the relationship you have with food, it not only does it affect like 
your physical appearance, but it really does have a, probably a 10 to 20 X effect on your brain. And oh, yeah. to, to have somebody like openly talk about that. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't think we were going to go down that route, but that's, that's really cool that you were able to do that. So thank you for, for sharing that with me. Do you want to know the science of the uh, electric body on how that actually comes into play eating fast foods and all Fucking that stuff? Absolutely. All right, cool. So <laughs> let me get, let me get adjusted here. So every cell in your body um, has something in it, it has a component in it that behaves like a capacitor making every cell in your body essentially like a little battery. And then you have what's called battery packs in your body, which kind of wrap around and, um, and you have different ones and some of them contain different organs and so on and so forth. Now, when we're talking about the energetic body, if you're eating trashy foods that are high in preservatives and all that kind of stuff, they lower the voltage of your body. Think about it. Think about it like a current. Um, when you're, uh, the way that the current flows, you actually have like a, a, your, your energetic field is actually a vortex. And then you also got what's called a morphic field that's on the outside of that. So there's, there's like two different layers on those. And these are all, both of those are already areas of science right now. So it's not like a fictitious thing that it used to be. It's like, no, this is actually confirmed. There's scientific proof and evidence and research going on in these fields. So what, what happens is, is when you've got your, your voltage of your body is down really, really low because you have a very sedentary lifestyle and uh, really um, trashy foods, the voltage is low. Now emotions, they have an electromagnetic energy to them and they can get stuck in, the, in your body and they can get stuck in your morphic field. And when they get stuck in your body, they can actually cause the voltage to dip. Well, what happens is, is if your butt, if you have a battery pack where that voltage is low and then that emotion comes in and it dips too low, the polarity is going to flip-flop. Well, when that polarity flip-flops, that's that battery pack can no longer call has it no longer has the juice to cause a reaction to create a new cell. So that's where a lot of chronic illnesses come from. So if you want to rebuild, if you want to rebuild, like it makes sense because like your cells, every seven years, every cell in your body has been replaced, right? Different organs, different cells, different things take a lot, uh, different amounts of time to replace. But you have to have all of the components to create a healthy cell in order to create a, a healthy cell. But you also have to have the the power or the labor to actually cause that reaction, which is that's the the energetic power or like that's that's the battery pack. So if that's if that battery pack is fucked up, you're gonna have art. It's you're gonna have a hard time. On the biological side of the house now a lot of pharmaceuticals and a lot of synthetics also fuck with the voltage as well so th there's that's that's the correlation of that so a lot of preservatives a lot of my stuff is just really trash all like the freaking the pesticides all that kind of shit it's really fucking bad for it and so that's another thing to look out for man dropping knowledge <laughs> so what what do you have planned for your your future in the aspect to be able to help people do you have any plans for like a foundation any kind of like charity work like what it sounds like like this is this sounds like and I, you know, i've only known you for what are we at now an hour and 20 minutes um <laughs> uh, but you know you you do have that that feeling inside you that you you have knowledge you have a lived experience that you want to get out there what's what's the the plan behind that Truthfully, I don't, I haven't looked into how to do any of that. I've just been doing it on my own will, like just on a word by mouth. I would love to have a charity foundation because I know a lot of people who want to help people with mental illness and, and actually donate to a fucking cause that, that is actually shown to work, mm -hmm. not just 
shoving fucking synthetics down people's throats and turn them into fucking zombies <laughs> is that literally what that's what happens it yeah. brings the highs down raises the lows and now you're left with fucking zombie mode yeah oh so, uh, if you know of anybody that that knows how to run foundations and do all that <laughs> uh i'm kind of at my bandwidth as far as like between work and my my current projects and that's yeah. just the side thing that i do to help people but if you got someone that you know that is what's the partner up for that hell yeah you know i might i might actually have a couple of people that i'll i'll keep uh i'll keep you in mind um but that's we'll go ahead and move on from that again thanks for sharing all of that um now we got we got a question coming from another guy what was your longest day on set like like did you ever hit hit a moment where you looked down in your watch and you went damn i've been at this for a while today oh yeah is all right I don't, I don't want you to like call out any any names or anything like that that caused uh, that could cause problems but like like how how was that was that like were you working like a 20 hour day what what was going on there this one was about an 18 hour day about yeah about a about an 18 hour day um it was it was a it was a vr scene hold on one second hey enough <laughs> the mailman dropped mail in my dog's like who's that <laughs> he's like it's um, a motherfucker he comes by every day i know he wants some <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was a it was a uh, i was making a virtual reality scene and there were six girls they have to do the the pictures they have to do a 2d camera um, so that they can use that as the thumbnails for advertisements. And then we got to film the VR setup. So we had to do every girl, every combination of girl and all of the girls, both pictures, 2D and, and 3D. And it was literally, um, uh, I, I would say my eggplant was being used for 12 hours straight. And I managed to break away like twice to get a bite out of a chocolate bar before being called right back to go right into it. Man, that's crazy. That actually brings me to one of my own questions. Is VR the future of porn? Ooh, so or I let me let me rephrase that question because the porn industry has really been a trailblazer in all aspects of technology and consumer products. The uh -huh. reason that we use Blu-ray is because porn adopted it instead of HD DVD. The reason that um we have that we have Amazon where we buy things on the internet is all because of a couple of guys who wanted to figure out how to figure the uh, payment processing and brought that out is porn. So I'm actually reworking the, the question altogether is porn going to be what pushes VR to the next level. Um, I would, ooh, that's a very interesting question. Cause I've been, I've been following this as well. Cause I studied the psychology of how um, VR plays in aspects of the brain which when that happens you kind of get a better understanding of how, the quality of a vr product so that's probably mm -hmm. like the main reason why i'm the number one guy in, in vr um in porn uh so i guess first let's cover why vr is the way that it is and what it does to the brain and then it'll then it'll make sense and you can better you can better guess the same answer with the same amount of information that i have so the way that the brain processes um, anything is your, your brain is the computer that uses your five senses to put together what it thinks reality is. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So what happens is, is if you have VR and you move your head around and it moves around, you have both movement and visuals of 
your brain is taking in something new. So for a moment, your brain is processing that as a new reality. Mm-hmm. Well, now what happens is, is if the girl says, do you want to grab my tits? And when she says that, and then I go and, and I go up and I grab her tits. Well, if the person that is watching that does the same thing, now you got motor function that has convinced the brain that the arms inside that um, inside the VR is real. So they did a study where they had the person put his arms underneath the desk and he saw virtual arms and the body responded to every stimulus to the virtual rearm and the physical body reacted as if what was happening to the virtual rearm was real. So the brain, instead of grabbing the information from the real actual arm that is attached to the body, it's started pulling in the data pulling in the data that what it was, it was seeing. seeing the virtual arm okay fascinating kind of like hacking the brain yeah so in that aspect um that's why virtual porn does so well but now you also have the the technology trend so i think i think apple said they're coming out with a vr headset but then also heard that they might have backpedaled that so as as it's as it goes as, as technology goes if more people start using those headsets then totally i could totally see that shifting with all the gaming and all that kind of happening i would see it's it's inevitable to go that direction in in, in porn yeah but you also got to keep in mind that if everything's going in that direction and vr technology is taking off that that new technology literally might just be vr it might end up replacing tvs yeah because say you and I, we wanted to go to the movie theater together, but you know, COVID's also kind of accelerated uh, mm-hmm. a lot of technology. But say we just put on a headset, and now we're in our fucking lazy boys. I look to my left, and there you are, and you're and you're lazy boy, and we're watching the the movie that's in the theater through the VR headset. So it it gives all the look and feel that we're actually in the theater. Like if technology heads in that direction, I could totally see porn being the actual the future in it. <laughs> do to go with that that theoretical future that that does become the norm does that scare you a little bit that that physically doing things kind of becomes a novelty at that point um no it doesn't scare me because i mean because now you're kind of talking about the the theories of inevitabilities anyways uh, are you familiar with the theory no i'm not so the theory of inevitability is basically, um, for example, like when the radio was invented, um, the first person that invented the radio got the credit for it. But what a lot of people don't know is that there were other people in different parts of the world that had also invented the, the radio at the same time, but just a little bit later. Uh, same thing with, with all the different technologies from the TV to everything up. So it's, it's a theory of, of inevitabilities that it's inevitably going to be created. It's just a matter of time and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's not like without, if that one person, if we go back in history and that person didn't create the, the, the TV, well, it's Somebody probably else. inevitable it was going to happen anyway. So that's the theory of inevitability. So yeah. if we're, talk, we're talking about um, technology that's moving along with the theory of inevitabilities, AI is going to increase, virtual reality is going to increase. I'm a big believer in Elon's Musk um, integration process because Elon has a very valid point. Uh, at the rate at which technology is going, there is the higher probability that AI and technology is going to supersede the need of, of humans. Mm-hmm. Like I, It makes sense. And so in order to counteract that, it, there's going to be an integration part that's going to happen in between that. 
So that's why I, I think Elon Musk is on the right track as far as bridging the gap and increasing the bandwidth. Because our current bandwidth, like with, with technologies, are thumbs of searching on the internet. Yeah. And if that, I mean, that, honestly, that would, uh, the theory of inevitabilities when it comes to technology on that, that would solve so many problems. Because <laughs> if everyone was like, was like linked up on, on an interface, you would know everybody's actual intentions and there wouldn't be a miscommunication due to lack of communication. You know, According so to like, Joe Rogan, that's what we're headed for. Joe Rogan yeah. has been speaking that out for probably the last three years. I think he's been really hammering on that to where we're going to get beyond this point of cancel culture, culture based off of misinterpretations of what people have said. And it's, you know, people are going to know your intent by what you believe, not what the, by the words that you're saying, uh-huh. which is it, it's a comforting thought and a terrifying thought at the same time. <laughs> all right we'll move on to the next question do you have a favorite pair of porn underwear Ooh, i don't even wear underwear (laughs) (laughs) well hey commando it's commando's a choice so in turn commando is underwear so i i i only wear i wear underwear when i work out and that's just (laughs) because too much bouncing around moving yeah yeah i kind of don't feel great but other than that i don't I find them I find them too constricting. Like you gotta let them you gotta let them breathe. You know? <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Um, went over that. Went over that. And we'll go ahead and go into. I meant to have like twenty questions for rapid fire to wrap everything up, but I got uh, seven. No, six written down. So we're gonna that do works. six rapid fire questions. And All right. we're gonna go ahead and start with describe yourself in three words. First three words that come to mind. Um, fun, charismatic, fun, charismatic, and intelligent. Morning or night person? Ooh, depends. Depends <laughs> on the time. <laughs> All right, we'll take it. We'll take it. It varies. Just depends. What's the first thing you do in the morning? <sighs> um. Well, that also kind of depends. Sometimes it's go get COVID tested. <laughs> but usually when I wake up, it's, uh, I, I, I kind of usually kind of almost do like a little meditation and prepare for like, I don't want to bring the negativity of the previous day into the current day. So I just kind of do like a, like a little meditation thing. I'm like, all right, let's go about the day. And then Ooh, we're going to follow more. back on that in just a second. Um, favorite movie. I mean, I'm a big fan of like your Braveheart, your Gladiator, the Patriot. Dude, I like, had you picked. I love that shit. Gladiator. Like, I had you picked. I mean, Gladiator is yeah, yeah. my personal favorite movie, so maybe that's why I thought you were going to pick it. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen it probably like 20, 30 times at least. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those movies that it, it honestly gets better every time I watch it. Uh-huh. Every single time. Marcus First Lewis. concert you remember? Ooh, um, Bowling for Soup. Because they were the only band that actually came to my town. <laughs> Bowling for Soup, man. The the greatest com- comedic rock band of all time. I'll say yeah. that. But they're the only ones that came to my town in the middle of BFE. So I was like, <laughs> my first concert. There you go. Do you believe in aliens? Ooh. Um, I believe... See, see that's interesting because it depends on the definition of the aliens. But do you, do you believe that there are 
beings of intelligence not on or from this planet. Yes. And also in metaphysics, space and time is not all the same thing. So mm -hmm. if, I don't know if that plays into it as well, because there's so many different accounts of beings of consciousness. Like, like I don't know, like, you know, uh, like DMT, everybody experiences needing mm -hmm. the same entities. Well, those beings of consciousness, so is that on the same plane? Would we consider them aliens or would they, you, you know what I'm saying? I think they technically, I think that for the lay person, at least, I think that still constitutes as an alien. Then 100%. I totally believe that. <laughs> when, you, when you have like thousands, tens of thousands or millions of people that try DMT and they all experience encountering the same type of deities and people, and with some of them without even doing research on it, how is that? You, yeah, there's something, there's something to that. Yeah. For sure. And the last one, do you believe in ghosts? Yes. But um, so what I think ghosts are, so a little bit of precursor. I was a research subject in uh, theta healing. I went around, I used to teach energy workers how and why and what they do and why it works and then why it doesn't work on people. Because there's a lot to do with um, physics and in metaphysics, there's like two that cross the line. So when you have the emotions have electromagnetic frequency and those get stuck in a, in a person's morphic field. And this is an actual official area of science as of two years ago. And what they discovered is everyone's morphic field is a, is a six feet double layer membrane vortex around them. And it's like rings on a tree. So if you are uh, 30 years old, you went through something emotionally traumatic when you're 15, uh, they, they hypothesize that there would be an undertone or overtone three feet out from your body. And they use the tuning fork because a tuning fork within a specific Hertz range has electromagnetic properties, which actually affect the undertones and overtones. So when they did that, it turns out three feet out of someone that was emotionally traumatized at that age, it, it ended up panning out like on, on the science of it. So we know that um, emotional energy is, can be stored in a morphic field. So now we got to define what ghosts are because you got a soul, which is separate from that energy. But this, uh, the, the, the electromagnetic energy that gets stuck in the, in the field is, is kind of like a memory. Um, it, it's literally what it is. When you are actually walking, when you're guiding somebody through like raising their inner child or um, trying to work through someone who's gone through PTSD, PTSD is they, they experience something so traumatic that the brain had to protect itself. And so it released a whole bunch of emotional energy and that stuff either gets stuck in the body and it can also get stuck in the morphic field. And that's where that area of... Um, healing and science is actually kind of kind of guided into there. Um, there there's different ways to cook the chicken as far as like working through uh, PTSD most of it the, the gist of it it is bringing those events reliving those events but keeping a conscious mind through those and understanding them and then letting them process themselves out people have done it there's a there's a 70 percent success rate um, with three tries of MDMA of curing PTSD of guiding somebody through that the whole purpose of that is literally just remembering reliving that experience and then guiding through it so that information is already held there so if we're trying to define what ghosts are i don't believe ghosts are actually souls of people that are stuck there that doesn't make any sense but what does make sense is that their inner like an, an emotional body or emotional something is stuck in the field that is still in there because every ghost that story you hear is it's something they went through something traumatic and that's why they're there reliving it i think the soul is completely gone back to where to to its next stage of existence but that energetic uh, energy or residue of that memory could still very well be stuck in the plane very very deep sir and i'm gonna get even deeper what is that next plane of existence to you what do you think it is <sighs> okay so this is this is interesting 
So when have you ever done DMT before? Uh, I have not. I want to. It's on my list. It's going to to happen. It just has not happened yet. So I did DMT a year ago. And so I did all I've been doing energy work. I found out um I had an affinity for it when I was eight years old. Ended up in an institute when I was a marine when I was a 250-pound marine. Don't ask that such a crazy story. Um and, and so I kind of went through all this process. And what I realized is that when I did DMT, it felt 100% identical to doing energy work for between 10 and 20 minutes. Really? So I'm, and when I'm in an energetic state, when I'm doing that, or I'm doing like the energetic exercise, because I do energetic, just like I would lift weights to strengthen my body. I would do energetic exercises to strengthen the muscles. And I can feel like the, the, the pineal gland, I could feel things in my brain actually growing and getting stronger and I can feel different fields. What's an example of like one of these, energetic exercises um so uh, what i'll do for a lot of people is i walk them through a visual so if someone ever feels like they're imbalanced or like the because i don't like getting all like super hippie spiritual into it because mm -hmm. i like to take more of the scientific approach to things because i think a lot of things get misconstrued um believing that it's it's all spiritualism but because i think there's a, a, well it's because that makes sense you have a very logic-based brain and so your your basis is that this works off of this feeling of logic or this this yeah. logic so yeah that makes total sense it's everything i've done in the energetic world i have trained somebody else to do it with me to compare notes to see if the experiences match or if they don't match or if they match because i wanted to get rid of the variable of psychoschematic mm -hmm. like i didn't want to want something to happen and have it happen and not have it happen like not have someone else experience it because then that could be the possibility so i just wanted to get rid of those variables um so when it talks to, um so so i'd say like doing an energetic state for that long felt very much like doing dmt like pretty much 100 percent from seeing the different shapes to um to kind of blasting off and kind of seeing reality for what it is and when i go into that state i i see like the um, the 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 visual representation was there's all these different uh, bubbles like they were on a grid almost like the dots game but there were these different bubbles and the um the i would say like the because like i'm trying you're trying to convert information that because when you receive information in that world it's almost like instantaneous but it doesn't translate to words really well so there's like a miscommunication of like trying to describe what the experience was to what it really really was so i'll try to explain it as best i can so the visuals was is there's all these these different bubbles and the bubbles represented um different uh realities i don't know if they were parallel universes or they were just different programs just right now in physics all of our understanding is that we live in a 3d fractional grid that makes the most sense when it comes to physics when you start throwing in everything on top of that so does that mean that there's parallel universes or does that mean this is just a simulation and then all those other bubbles are other simulations, you know, not entirely sure. I, I don't know enough about that. You know, that's <laughs> so far outside my scope of reality. I don't know, but I, I, I don't want to answer that. But so I would say that when our spirit would move on, because I know like when you're, there, there's certain energetic tests you can do with things like the, the energy that flows around your body. Um, it's programmable based off of intention and intention is the language that is used in there. So words don't mean anything. So when I go and I'm training like uh, an, an energy healer or a group of energy healers and they're using these words or they're trying to recite incantations, 
to me, what that says is you don't know how this works. Mm-hmm. What you're, you're doing is you're repeating what somebody else had told you and expecting this result. Now, yes, what you're doing is you're programming an attention, but different words mean different things to different people. So that's why I like to understand um, uh, when I teach them, it's, it's, it's important to understand how the science works behind it. And then you can just get rid of all the crap, all, all, all the, all, all, all the hippity seance bullshit. Like, I think that's, I think that's, I think it's fucking joke. Um, so for, for example, um, do you know, there's this, uh, I think it was a Japanese scientist. He put, he put um, words labeled on the same, he used the same water from the same source. Uh, and he, he would put words on the, on water. He would play music to water. He would set water on top of pictures and then he'd flash freeze them and look at the, the structure of the water. Did you ever oh, hear about yeah, that? I did hear about that one. Yeah. Okay, so what it did is things that had that came from like love and beauty, anything like that, they were very symmetrical and they looked very pleasant to look at. Things that were chaos, the chaos was jagged all over the place. Mm-hmm. Of the full had literally no molecular structure look to it at all. And so the, the reason, uh, what we take from that is that our um, our intention kind of sh- helped shape the molecular structure of how that that formed on there. And then that, that's kind of like the takeaway from that. Same thing with the music, the rock music, like the hardcore music showed no distortion, whereas Mozart showed very um, articulate and very complex looking um, pictures on. It's really interesting. Yeah. So you can do the same thing. Like you can do this. Um, I can do this. Pretty much anybody that has an actual voltage in their body can do this. And you can go to a, um, put your hand up next to a glass of water. So that's inside your electromagnetic field. So this is why you need a voltage that field. So everything within that programmable distance of your field is programmed off of intentionally put your hand up next to that, that, that glass of water. And you can think of like a high frequency. So think of a high vibration and then really focus on channeling that into the water. Then take a sip of that water and remember the aftertaste. Then do the, repeat the exact same experiment. But this time, Imagine that uh, the water is causing a desync. Like it is, it's tap water, it's disgusting, it's not good for the body. Um, and then do that one. And then take a sip and remember the aftertaste. The third one, think of your own body's frequency and channel that into the water and then drink that. And then don't do that with just yourself, test that with other people and see how that comes into play. Because what's happened when I've done this and I've done this experiment, thousands tens of thousands of times like i literally went around and would do this to everyone because when i would go to teach uh because the only time i'd ever go do energy work on someone anymore was when an energy healer couldn't work on the person and the reason why they couldn't work on them was because what happened is is they they produced they had a strong uh strong voltage in their body but they had a belief system that was rewriting the programs as was entering their their body and so you can either one you can overpower their frequency and but the problem is by overpowering it it only works when the power source is there so when you leave your when you leave the field it reverts back number two you got to cause their subconscious to realize that that's not there you got to basically make their brain realize that that's not the only form of input in, in what they think reality is so the 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 water is one another one is like you can feel people's fields and it used to be like oh you're fucking crazy for that say well guess what uh, they finally, the scientific community finally put it out there that some people can feel other people's electromagnetic fields without touching them. So you can try this too. If you have a field, you can go like this and you can feel, some people feel heat, some people feel energy. So what, what I would 
next encourage you to do is put your finger into it. Now, when you put your finger there, move it in a circle and see if you can feel that as it moving around your palm. And then what I want you to do is focus on it and imagine that the uh, energy that's coming out of your, your finger is channeling itself into a point and see if you can't poke yourself. And so it feels like it's almost like burrowing into the center of your hand. Now, the next thing I want you to do is then envision that the energy, instead of it being a point, actually disperses and goes across your whole hand. So without moving it. And so do that on yourself, but then also try that with somebody else so that you know that this isn't psychosomatic. And then you'll start realizing that there's more to the power of your thoughts and how it affects with this, with this uh, plane of reality. So when it comes to doing energy, if you're, as far as like using, trying to do that, like saying costs, takes a certain amount of effort, energetic effort to do that. Well, if you use the soul from that, it's almost an instantaneous effort. So there's, there's a distinct difference in from doing that. And I haven't been able to test that with someone else using their soul. So that was from my own personal experience from that. Um, so I don't know if that's psychosomatic or not. I, I don't have enough data to really pull that together. If that was psychosomatic or if it was, or if somebody else can do that. Um, yeah. But that was my personal experience from that. So I think the, <laughs> sorry, we kind of really going way off of it. Hey, hey, that's what this is all about. It's all good, brother. <laughs> it is all good, man. No, like I, I love, I love hearing about things that I don't know about and I don't know about that. So, so I'm never going to tell anybody to stop, <laughs> but that's uh, this, is, I mean, damn, we're coming up on two hours here. Um, this has been really fun man this has been a lot of fun it's probably one of my favorite interviews i've ever done and I, i've talked to some interesting motherfuckers so take that as a compliment all right yeah yeah but his name is will pounder mm -hmm. he is on instagram as i i will pounder um go ahead and plug anything else that you that you have out there uh instagrams i will pounder um not safe for work material is uh is on twitter the will pounder uh, I do have an OnlyFans called D Pounder. Um, just be very careful if you go in there. It's just a lot of me. <laughs> it's mostly like BTS stuff on there, but yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. And uh, I want to talk to you again when the Hulu show is coming up. I want to want to like find out about that and whatnot. So I'm looking I, forward to that. That's gonna be fun. I appreciate the hell out of you for taking the time to talk with me and, and for other people to listen. And uh, that's it, folks. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, anytime. <laughs>